started. Brother Bob, appreciate it if you'd take one. All right, well, we got a nice little crowd here for our first Snowmageddon of 2021. I don't think that was much of a Snowmageddon this time, but it was what? Well, ha Habersham, yeah, I did hear that. I heard they had up to four up that way, so in some places. How was your roads coming in? Were they okay? Clear? Right. Yeah, as elders, you can imagine how frantic it gets when you're trying to decide and start snowing. We were texting at 9, 10, 11 o'clock last night saying, roads up here are getting bad, I don't know. So it makes it hard to sleep when you got to make a decision early in the morning, you know. But anyways, uh, glad to see everyone here. It didn't turn out to be that bad. And it uh, looks like it's clearing pretty fast, so that's a good thing. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go over our prayer list for today. Uh, <coughs> you may have heard that Mary McGill's got a recurrence of her kidney cancer. So uh, she's talking about treatment options with her doctors. So please remember warning Mary at this time. Also, um, some of you remember Roger and Susie Hogan, Bob and Jean's son and daughter-in-law. Uh, Susie's uh, uh, mother passed away on the 1st, so uh, they're asking for prayers at this time. Uh, also, I'm sure many of you remember Sister Wanda Neighbors, who was a member here for years, passed away earlier this week. She, I believe she'd been in a home down in Fayetteville area. I think her daughter put her in there so uh, to get word that she passed. Um, a few others need to mention. Uh, Former member and uh, elder David Wheeler uh, went in the hospital early this week. I know many of you remember him with what looks like why he had a stroke. So uh, he's still in the hospital as of yesterday. I haven't heard if he's gotten to go home yet, but uh, yeah, they found a mass on the kidney too. Yeah, I did see that from uh, Carolyn. So, okay, so please remember David and Carolyn at this time. Uh, Brother Jerry Tenary is, uh, you know, uh, had an infection in his one eye and lost his eye. Uh, now he's having issues with his other eye. So Jerry and uh, Glenn are asking for prayers for that. He's having to have shots in his other eye. And you know, that's what causes his other eye to have the infection, apparently, or that they don't know. But after he got a shot, he started losing his eyesight in that one eye. So please remember Jerry and, uh, and Glenn at this time. Uh, Jennifer McCoy found out she has a stone, so she's going to have to have that removed, so she's asking for prayers for that. Um, so uh, please remember her as well. And of course, remember those who are uh, dealing with COVID and the virus uh, still going on and uh, uh, just a lot of stuff with that. Anybody else we need to be mentioning in our prayers today? <clears throat> okay. Let's go to our Father in prayer before we begin our class today. Father in heaven, we're, we're so thankful for this another opportunity to come together in your name, Father, and we praise you and honor you as our God and our Father, and we thank you for the love that you uh, have bestowed upon us, that you have for us. It's so, so great that you would send your Son to, uh, to die for us, to be our sacrifice for sin, that we might have a hope of eternal life. Father, we ask you to be with those who have been mentioned on our prayer list today. Those who are in need of healing, to be healed if possible, Father, and come back and be with us. And those who are dealing with this virus at this time, Father, we just ask you to uh, continue to help those who are dealing with it, family members and friends, and those of us in this congregation, that we might get past this. And we just ask you to continue to eradicate this virus from our, from our midst, that we might get past this and get back to some kind of normal life, Father. 
that should be for those who are also uh, mourning the loss of a loved one this time, that uh, especially those of this congregation are in past, that they might be comforted. And help us to know how to minister in each and every person here, Father. Thank you for this congregation, Father, and the love they have here, the heart for service that everyone has. And we just thank you for this, uh, this group, this church, this congregation that you've built here in, in the Buford area that uh, is so willing to serve you with, with love in their heart and, and with, without uh, thinking of, of themselves. We ask you to be with us in our daily endeavors, Father, and, and our work and our play that we might be good examples to uh, those around. And as we talked last week from the, from the Gospel of John, we might also be a light, as Jesus was a light to the world. We ask you to be with us during our class time today, Father, as we continue to study in the Gospel of John, that we might be able to glean something from the Word, that we might be able to put into our lives and practice and, and help us to grow spiritually. As you be with our nation at this time, Father, and the leaders, that they might seek your will, seek out your will in their daily endeavors, that we might uh, continue to uh, uh, grow as a spiritual nation and get back to you in, in many ways, Father, and we just ask you to help us to help us to do that, Father, and we just thank you for the opportunity to be together as your children and the opportunity to have a hope that surpasses all understanding in this world. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, all right. So, if you've been here the last three or four months, you know we've been studying in the Gospel of John. And John is a tremendous gospel. Uh, I love studying John more than any other gospel, really, because it's so different than the other three. The other three, you know, we call the synoptics because they are very similar. And we know why John was written, and we've been reading that every week. You ought to know this by heart by now, right? shouldn't even have to read the scripture, but let's do it anyways. John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I mean, how, how better can it be said, right? We can have life in his name. We want life, right? We want to live. We want to live fully, fulfilled, with the meaning, right? And we can have that in this world by believing in his name. Not only that hope that we have for eternal life, but we can have abundant life in this life. And we've been reading some of the statements that Jesus has said, right, recently. We can have a heart flowing, heart flowing of living water heart flowing we, we can be a light to the world just as he was to a dark world a dark world that's dying that's running down that's going to end one day we can be all these things and last week we talked about one of his statements where jesus said he was the light of the world and we talked about he was doing this during the feast of tabernacles and at the time they were in the court of women out, out in the treasury area and they would light two colossal lampstands out there at night after the evening sacrifices and hang other lamps from it and it would light up the whole area of Jerusalem uh, at that time. And Jesus used this opportunity to talk about he is the light of the world, just as he had done at the ceremonial uh, pouring out of the water from the golden pitcher onto the burnt offering, altar burnt offering. He was using these examples that the Israelites were practicing, that the things that they did to remember their past, remember they're wandering in the wilderness or they're uh, or God saving them from Egyptian bondage to also point to him. These, set, these examples, these, 
these things they did, these traditions, these things that they were ordained by God to do, not only talk, show what happened in the past, but also pointed to him. And he was making these statements. He also referred to himself as the bread of life, right? And we talked about how there were many other statements that he made, right? That he was, he was the resurrection. He was the way, the truth, and the life, right? The only way to the Father was through him. In a way, these are kind of outrageous, right? For a man to be stating, for someone to be saying, I, I, am, I am the one these are talking about. I'm the one these signs are showing. I'm the one these symbols are pointing to. It's making bold statements to the Jews. Well, we saw a little bit last week as we read about how some of the Jews were, were not understanding, taking issue with this, right? Trying to figure out what he's talking about and not, and not believing him necessarily. Who, who is this guy? He's, he's, he's a crazy man. What is he talking about? And let's continue a little bit of that today. Turn over to John chapter 8 and let's read on from last week. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 21. Now Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And, we'll, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? <laughs> because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. You see, Jesus is saying, you don't understand because you're not from above. I am from above. You're from beneath. Isn't that an interesting statement? He's telling them point blank. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I love that statement because it points something out for us, does it not? As his children, as believers, as disciples, as members of the kingdom of heaven, we are not of this world. We are not to be of this world. We've been sanctified, set apart for good purpose, for his purpose. Bought with a price, with his blood. We're no longer of this world. We are no longer servants to ourselves. We are servants of His. What does that mean to you exactly? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered those statements? You're not of this world. You're of the kingdom of heaven. Has it ever made you think about what you're doing might be not the right thing to do? Or perhaps you need to change your priorities a little bit? You have to live in this world, right? You've got to be in this world. If you're going to have a life here, you've got to live in this world. And it's a dark world. It's, it's a depressing place. It can be a joyous place, of course. 
And we have that promise from the Lord. But we have to remember we're not of this world. And sometimes we get caught up in it, don't we? We get to thinking, ah, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this, but not really thinking about why. Or not really considering what God wants for me as opposed to what I want for me, you know? Maybe you raised your children in the nurturing of the Lord, but were you a good example for them? Were you trying to show them that you were a member of the kingdom, not a member of the world? And I'm not trying to put you down about that, but sometimes we can say things, right? I'm not of this world, but yet our actions don't show that. Our actions show we are, in the, we are of the world. Perhaps the way we talk, perhaps the things we are participating in that are of the world. <clears throat> Something I've tried to do in the last few months, and it's hard to do, is try to set my mind that way when I'm up in the day, up in the morning, or when I'm going about my business, you know? I'm not of this world. Is this something that's worldly? Is this something I should be part of? And it's tough sometimes because we're tempted. We're tempted by this world just as Jesus was. We're tempted to do things that are worldly, of the flesh, not spiritual. It's a tough thing to do. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about what the Lord has to say about how to handle that situation. How to get away from being worldly. and He can help us do that. Let's read on, beginning in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who, are, who believed him, and notice he's talking to believers now. Pay attention to that. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, they answered him, we, we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. One of the better known statements that Jesus has ever made, right? Has anybody not heard that statement before? I think you all have, yeah. One thing I want you to take from this is this. We can know the truth. There is such a thing as absolute truth. We are human. We don't just know that by being born. But we know it's been revealed to us. God has revealed himself through beginning with the prophets, the law, and now through his son, who was the word and came in the flesh. We read about in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. We can know the truth. It's not relative. That's another thing of this world. That's another thing this world will try to tell you. My truth is not the same as your truth. Never heard that before? What I think is good is for me. I don't care what you think is true or right or good. It's relative to me. If you're going to have truth, real truth, it's got to be for everyone, doesn't it? Make sense? 
you know, it's like the old statement, like two plus two equals four. It doesn't equal five. It doesn't equal three. Truth is truth. So one thing we can know from that is that we can know truth. And I don't mean you're going to be perfect because of that or complete. You're human. You can't be perfect. You've fallen short. Romans 6.23. I mean, Romans 3.23. All have fallen short, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, yes, ma'am. necessarily truth right June says a lot of people consider their opinion to be truth and that's right you have an opinion according to what you believe is true somebody else's opinion may be their truth and that's not my truth yeah exactly Jim says you, the, the statement, you can believe, believe, believe whatever you want to believe, but it doesn't make it true. That's a very, very, very good statement. We, we hear this statement a lot in political context, don't we? You ever heard a politician use that statement? The truth shall make you free. I believe uh, Dr. King used that in his speech, one of his speeches, right? It's a very popular statement to use, especially when talking about political things, like political oppression, uh, perhaps in talking about the value of a free press or extolling freedom, the, the value of freedom of expression. It's a very popular thing to say. Of course, freedom of expression, as, as we were just saying, Jim and, and June, not necessarily true when you express yourself, is it? We can know the truth but that truth can't come necessarily from us. Well, sure, we could go out into creation and we can see things in creation and think, I see this, there's a tree there. I know that's true. Or, we saw snow falling last night, so I know there's a such thing as snow. And we can read about how that comes about. You know, the, I don't know, water starts falling from the sky and it freezes. But we can't know all about truth unless it comes from something greater than us, right? From a source that's a greater being, has all knowledge, is everywhere in the world, right? And that one source is God. These things that people use this phrase for are notable virtues, right? But Jesus had a little bit something a little bit different about in mind when he's expressing this. Freedom from something more than just political oppression. Freedom from something more than just, uh, you know, trying to understand the truth. He's talking about something a little different. Let's look at the context of what he's saying there. Go back to verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free. Jesus answered, Most surely I say, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So what's he talking about? 
freedom from sin, right? Freedom from slavery to sin. It's interesting how these Jews say they never were in bondage. Well, maybe these weren't, but they're descendants or descendants when they go back? Descendants. Ascendants, right? Get that backwards. What? Egyptian bondage, Assyrian bondage, Babylonian bondage. They knew bondage in their history. Maybe these folks didn't, but that's a very odd statement to make. He's, he's explaining that. He's talking about the slavery to sin. And then he offers freedom from that. And you can imagine, they probably had not heard anything like this before. This is probably the first time they're hearing something like that. I mean, after all, they're, they're trying to keep the law, which we know now couldn't be kept. No man could keep the law. So they didn't understand what freedom that is. They were slaves to, to that sin. Slaves to not being able to be perfect. With slavery to sin, what comes with it? Well, when you do something wrong and you know it, usually you kind of feel a little guilty, don't you? Yeah. Usually it causes you to have a little regret. A little, uh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I mean, there's things today, all of a sudden, something I'm doing or seeing or something, and I'll make me think of something I did years ago, and I'll just cringe. You ever do that? You think, why did I do that? And you know, it may be 20 years ago. You think back, why in the world did I do that? There's some guilt that goes with it, isn't there? Even if one has committed only one sin, it makes you a slave. Let's turn over to James and read about that. James chapter 2. Beginning in verse uh, 8, James 2, 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Anybody ever done that? Show partiality? For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to read that whole passage. He's saying all have sinned and all have transgressed the entire law. But also, I wanted to point out that there's sin that you probably don't even realize you did. He's saying if you're being impartial, if you're being impartial to people, you, you're sinful. I mean, there's things that we probably do every day we don't realize, right? We've sinned. We've transgressed the entire law. That means there's a great power in sin, isn't it? So much of a great power that it causes us to not even realize we're doing it sometimes causes us to have that guilt when we do know. 
it causes us to feel like we just are useless, worthless sometimes, right? We can't get past it. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. Let's read something that Paul had to say about that. And beginning, Romans 7, beginning in verse uh, uh, 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not, will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the, for the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not, will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my, mem in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This is, this is a little bit of a difficult passage from, from Paul, right? I mean, it's, it's very wordy, very verbose. But basically what he's saying is, I am a human being in the flesh, and I sin, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to sin, but I do. And it's almost like he's saying, I can't help it. I just can't help it. I'm fleshly. Oh, wretched man that I am. In a way, I guess that can kind of give us some, I don't know, comfort maybe, because Paul was experiencing the same things we do, right? He was tempted just like us. He was just a man. And just like us, when we become Christians, we, we turn from that, right? Romans 6 says, we walk in newness of life. But yet, even then, we still struggle with sin, right? We still seem to be slaves from it. And what can we do about it? Oh, wretched man that I have, that I am. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. But we have a hope. More oppressive than any kind of physical slavery is the spiritual slavery. You may say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you can escape from physical slavery, right? I mean, I don't know that anybody's experienced physical slavery in this room. I know in the past people did. But it's pretty hard to escape from the slavery of sin. But, how do we do it? Well, Jesus talks about his truth here. He talks about his doctrine. The truth that he speaks, verse 31 and 32, which offers freedom 
from sin. In other words, we can have it. We can have freedom from that guilt of sin through his blood. He said in Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the new covenant. And think about this now. The Jews are still under the old law. They're under the old covenant. Under the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. In other words, sin has a power. There's a power of sin that we ourselves cannot escape. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 there. Let's read something here that may give us a little hope. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. How do we escape it? Blood of Jesus Christ. We've been moved to the law of love, washed in His blood, freed from the law of sin and of death. We have to obey what He tells us to do, though, right? We have to be baptized into Him. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. Let's read a passage from there. Luke 6, beginning in verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Know anybody that's like that? Are you like that? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We have to do what he says. It's not just about believing we have to obey, repent of our ways, change our heart. Doesn't mean we're not going to sin again, but we need to move away from it. Be baptized into Him. Romans 6. Let's read that. Turn over there. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? In other words, we've moved to this law of love, but... Some people might think, well, okay, now we're under the law of love. doesn't matter if we sin anymore. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. It's not just about believing or hearing. And man, I've said this every week the last three months, right? It's about doing, obeying, right? Moving into that law of love. 
becoming part of the kingdom. In that newness of life, we now begin to walk with him. Turn over to 1 John. Let's read a passage from there. And I've said this before, but 1 John is where I go to when I'm wondering sometimes, struggling with things. There are times when I wonder about my salvation. Yeah, am I really going to be in heaven? And I go to 1 John. Chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We're going to sin, folks. And to say different, we're liars. But we have that hope. We can know as long as we are continuing in his word, continuing to walk in the light, we have that forgiveness. We have that remission of sin through his blood. Also, talked about this a lot in the past few uh, days, but turn back over Romans 8, and let's read about something else that helps us. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are sons of God. We have the Spirit to help us. You're not alone. You don't have to do it alone. The Holy Spirit's there to help us get past it, to walk in the light, not in darkness. And of course, we have that forgiveness as we continue our journey. He says in verse 31 that we have to continue to abide in His Word. Right. Turn over to Second John this time. Let's read something from there. Second John. Chapter one, verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I'm sorry, I'm in first John. What am I doing? Okay. I, was, I didn't think there were any chapters in, in 2 John. So, I, all right, verse, 2 John, verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. John says we've got to abide in his word. If you are truly his, you will be in the word. You will keep that word, you will obey the word, and you will walk in the light as he did. It seems like I keep repeating myself, doesn't it, a lot, last few weeks. But in Jesus' ministry, he used different phrases many times, different things to talk about who he was, but it all boils down to the same thing, right? We've got to believe and obey. 
if we want to have an abundant life, if we want to have life in his name. Maybe this helps us understand or better appreciate uh, our mission, right? Matthew 28, 19, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that Christ commanded them. That's what we're supposed to do. Everything we should be doing should have that as our primary purpose. By our example, by our work, by our play, our daily life should be pointing to Him. Should be ready to make disciples of those around us. By walking in that light, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we should be leading others, at least in our families, perhaps our friends, others. Now, I'm not saying that's something we are constantly out there doing. I know you can't go out and just take your Bible and bang everybody on the head with it. Can't do that. But everything we should do, remember, should be done on behalf of the kingdom. You are of the kingdom, not of this world. You are of the kingdom of heaven, and hopefully that's where you're heading in eternity. By being in the kingdom, we are examples of the truth truth that's been revealed to us through his word and we know that truth by abiding in his word we know the truth by studying and by as he said lifting him up he says if, if you lift me up you'll know that I am from the father you'll know that my doctrine is true because it's been given to him by the father and he speaks what the father tells him to speak now, that kind of sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? I mean, okay, so, so, so what? That don't mean he's telling the truth, does it? He says, you'll know. You'll know it. There's something in us that we're born with, big old hole, spiritual hole that has to be filled one way or another. Now, I know you've heard that before, but you do. Every person in the world has to fill it somehow. Those in the world tend to do it through other things, Staying busy, you know, not wanting to think about it maybe. Or worse, getting into drugs and alcohol, things like that. Living a life for themselves. And there's even some folks that seem to be living a nice life, but aren't believers, right? Have you ever talked to someone about that? You said, you believe in God? Well, yeah. As long as you're good, you're going to go to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way through him. You've got to believe in him. That's it. Turn over Matthew chapter 11. And let's end with a passage that's a very comforting passage. And I would 
tell you when you're down or struggling with something, struggling with temptation, perhaps guilt, something you've done, turn over to Matthew 11. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. By the way, that's an that's a awesome verse right there. The powerful and the elite don't get it. It's the babes that understand. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I know you've heard that verse many times, but it is so comforting, is it not? And we don't really consider what that means. He's saying, come to me. Lay it on me. I'm willing. And he did, didn't he? He did it all for us, right? No greater love than a man has than to lay down his life for another. Can you do that for somebody else? Oh, yeah, I got my wife, oh yeah, I'd die for them, would you? Jesus did it for all of us. And he didn't have to. He willed himself to do it. He and the Father are one. He's willing to take it all from you. When you're struggling, get on your knees and lay it on you. He's ready to take it. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.